My friends, if you cannot already feel the tension, let me invite us to look just a little closer this morning because the tension is in the transition. The transition that we are making from the season of Epiphany into the season of Lent. From Jesus manifesting his glory in the world by his miraculous deeds to Jesus preparing for his gruesome and unjust yet atoning crucifixion. And I don't know about you, but I always feel it on this Sunday. My mind and my mood begin to become unsettled. Then again, I think that's the point. Even as we behold the manifest glory of Jesus one more time, meeting him this morning on what is known as the Mount of Transfiguration before we descend into the very somber valley of the Lenten season. And this whole story of the transfiguration is really quite curious. For example, why did Jesus only allow three of his 12 apostles to see this glorious event? We don't really know. And what are we to make of Moses and Elijah, who, as we know, had been dead, 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 for generations, and yet here they are very much alive and talking with Jesus. And finally, we come to Jesus himself, fully human, just like the rest of us, just like all of the other men who were gathered around him. Yet scripture says, as he prayed, his face changed and his clothes became a dazzling white. We call this the transfiguration. But let's be honest, that's just another fancy 50-cent theological word to try and help us to describe another divine mystery that simply defies human understanding. And though we don't know exactly everything that was happening in this physical realm, yet through these physical events in the life of Jesus, we find some very important spiritual truths imparted to us. So we'll start with Moses and Elijah. In addition to Abraham, through whom God began his covenant relation with his people Israel, these two men, Moses and Elijah, represent the other two primary ways that God had made himself known, the law and the prophets. The law, of course, was God's moral code and compass for his people, keep the law and Israel would know the favor of the Lord, God's blessing. Break the law and God's curse would come upon them, as the Bible says, even down to the third and fourth generations of their children. And as Israel did go astray, like we all do, God began to raise up prophets. The prophets called Israel back to obedience to the law and a right relationship with God, and the prophets called Israel forward into the promises that God had prepared for them. 
And as Moses and Elijah served as Israel's iconic images for the law and the prophets, now there they were in the flesh, standing with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, symbolizing and signifying that this Jesus was the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. That's one thing Moses and Elijah were doing there. And this is exactly what Jesus had said previously at the Sermon on the Mount. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In other words, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is found in a person. Which person? The second person of the Trinity. Who is that? Jesus Christ, our Lord. And now we tend to a second inescapable observation, which is the fact that Moses and Elijah were there at all. As I said before, very much alive. How can this possibly be? How could two men who were now dead for centuries possibly be alive? Jesus also answers this definitively in Matthew chapter 22 when some Sadducees, a group of religious leaders who do not believe in the resurrection boldly approached Jesus to question him, to challenge him about the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus meets their challenge when he says, have you not read what was said about God? I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but what? The God of the living He is the God of the living. Now, it is enough to marvel at the fact that Moses and Elijah were alive after their death, but even so, the main point is actually this. The main point is that their appearance with Jesus is an indicator. It's a clue. It's a foreshadowing that Jesus himself will have something to do with the resurrection of the dead. And indeed, we know that he would, and we know that he will. During this season of Epiphany, we celebrate the ways in which Jesus has revealed his glory, chiefly through his teachings, his signs, and his wonders. But in the season of Lent, we begin to celebrate another kind of glory, and we call it the glory of the cross. The glory of the cross. If you notice in each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a distinctive point in each of them where the emphasis turns from the signs and wonders to the sign of the cross, where all of the other glorious signs are swept up into the greatest one that he would perform, his crucifixion and his resurrection. And here's an interesting observation. For as marvelous as it is, and it is marvelous, that in his ministry Jesus could display the kind of power that raised other people from the dead, only one has ever displayed the power to defeat his own death. His name is Jesus Christ, and he is Lord of all. This is what he says to us in John chapter 10. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus will have something to do with the resurrection of the dead. 
And my friends, this is the meaning of the transfiguration itself. As Jesus begins to pray and his face is changed and his clothes become a dazzling white, this is an anticipation of Jesus' own glorified body at his resurrection. But that's not all it is. It's also an anticipation for us, an anticipation that he invites us to share in his resurrection with him for all of eternity. That death is not the end for us, but there is life beyond the grave in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now in the next few minutes, we're going to celebrate a baptism where a young family will bring two young boys to the fount or trough, as the case may be, of regeneration. And right now, we might all be asking ourselves, what does transfiguration have to do with baptism? That's what you are asking yourselves right now, right? And it may comfort or disturb you to know that I've been asking myself that question all week long in preparing for this sermon. So this morning, here's how we'll answer that question. Baptism, baptism, Baptism is how we pass from death to life. Baptism is how we pass from death to life. Think of it this way. When we take a bath, what are we doing? We're removing the dirt from off of our bodies. And in removing the dirt, we feel fresh, we become clean, we feel better, we look better, and some of us even smell better when we take a bath. And so in baptism, water is this outward, physical sign of what is happening inward and spiritually. When these boys come forward, the very first thing they will do is renounce the strongholds of this world, our human flesh, and the devil. And they will declare that they will not live any longer for the things that cause sin and death and destroy the kingdom of God. That's the very first order of business in baptism. This is the decision that they want God the Holy Spirit to wash them, to remove the spiritual dirt from off of their souls and cleanse them from the stain of sin that keeps all of us from God. And then after they've renounced the world, the flesh, and the devil, then they will turn. They will turn and confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, allowing him to govern and to guide and to guard them all the days of their lives, molding them and shaping them and fashioning them into his own image. Really, that's just the beginning. Because the other things that go on in baptism are this. When they receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of their eternal inheritance, they then become children of our Heavenly Father, co-heirs with Christ in his eternal kingdom, and get this, young men after God's own heart. And now, mom and dad, your main job is to disciple these boys as followers of Jesus to teach them to become warriors for Jesus Christ in this world, young men who will build and battle for the kingdom of God wherever life may take them, and you will not do this on your own because a great cloud of witnesses will surround you. Angels, archangels, cherubim, seraphim, saints and martyrs, and your church family, Christ the Redeemer, as we pledge to support them in their life in Christ. And we all have to be aware of this. 
Though the devil will come against them and try to stop them, today they put on the armor of God to take their stand against the wiles of the devil. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace on their feet, the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Trusting in the promise that Jesus Christ says that the gates of hell shall never prevail against them. And all of this because these two men are saying yes. Yes to Jesus Christ. To the good things of God made known to us in creation, to the saving grace of Jesus Christ made manifest on the cross, and yes, to the future eternal glory to all who have said yes to Jesus. And this is how the transfiguration ties into our baptism. It is our passage from death to life. Baptism is our passage from death to life. And I'll offer this one for free here at the end because sometimes God just puts something on your heart that you can't escape. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament reading. And if you notice what happened to Moses when he was in the presence of God, he became what we're all supposed to become as Christians. And what is that? Reflected glory. Reflected glory. Do you remember when he came down off of the mountain and the people could not even look at him because his face shone so brightly from being in the presence of God? That's something like what our lives should look like as Christians. That by our baptism we pass from death to life and in that resurrected life we are to reflect the very glory of God in all that we are and all that we do. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait any longer. Are you ready to do this baptism thing? Okay, let's begin.